This episode of the Belong Podcast is brought to you by PEI Cycling Tours. Not just a tour company, but a place to learn. Not sure how to adjust anything on your bike, or maybe you'd like to be able to ride with more confidence. Call me at 902-569-4925 or email Cynthia at peicyclingtours.ca. I'll give you a push and bring you closer to your bike. Bikes are made for riding. Get on it. Christopher Gillis has already lived a couple of lives, so imagine the journey he's been on. Growing up as a gay kid and finding his way to manhood comes with a few stories about belonging. And lucky for us, Christopher has honed his skills to be able to tell his story his way. Here is my chat with the one and only Christopher Gillis. Christopher Gillis, welcome to the Belong Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, it was um, something that I've been wanting to do for a while, have you on. And so I'm really glad that you've agreed to do this right now. Um, where are you right now? Right now, I am sitting um, in the living room of our cottage, which is in Rice Point, PEI. And what, what can you see? I can see the ocean and I can see um, the beautiful sunshine uh, dancing off of the ocean, uh, but it is very deceiving because it's quite chilly out today. Um, and I'm overlooking our um, yard and trees and um, the wildlife that we've been trying to coax into our uh, <laughs> sphere here in our little compound. Um, but uh, our, our living room has um, windows on both sides, so I'm just sort of staring outside and enjoying the, the beautiful day. Yeah, that sounds pretty peaceful. It is. It's very nice. Yeah. Well, Christopher, I mean, just so that everyone who's listening knows, Christopher and I have known each other for our entire adult lives. <laughs> and beyond. <laughs> and beyond. Um, uh, I think maybe you were, I think we, we usually say you were about 14 when we first met. I think that's a good a good age. We had definitely met before that because, of course, uh, remember when I was five years old, um, you lived in an apartment um, in the house beside my family's home. So I actually, we actually met when I was five, but then, yes. and then came back into your life when, again when I was around fourteen, where we were once again uh, direct neighbors. I know that's that's so amazing. Yeah, because I do remember remember you when you were five on your tricycle. On my tricycle. Amazing. Yeah, and the freckles and all that cuteness, and then. Then all of a sudden, this kind of blossoming person finding his way through my backyard. It was yes. amazing. Over and over and over through that backyard. Yeah. And we have talked about this whole talk topic of belonging um, over all the years that we've known each other. We have. And I know that you do have stories to tell. You have so many stories. <laughs> Gosh, which ones do you want? You know them all. <laughs> well, you know, I like to, I, I actually just like to hear and find out when you say the, the word or the term or the idea of belonging, what that actually means to you when, when you, when you hear it, what, where does your mind go when, when you hear that word? God, that's a loaded question. I, know. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, I knew, obviously we talked about me coming on the, the podcast and obviously I'm a huge fan and supporter and, and we chatted about it, you know, when you were initially planning it and, and we did have these conversations about 
the word and what does it mean and what does it, what does it represent? And, and it actually did sort of, um, you know, you, you probably don't know this, but it really did send me off, you know, truly to think about and reflect for myself what it means, because I did, I knew that inevitably, you know, you would likely be asking me this question. And, and um, I, I feel like for almost all of my life, I've been trying to, for myself, two things, one, find where I belong, and two, trying to define what that actually looks like and means. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, in recent sort of weeks and months, um, as you and I started these discussions, or even just you having the podcast and me reflecting on that, um, like I said, it really took me kind of on, on a journey on, on to explore what those two things mean to me. And it was really um, interesting for me um, because it, it allowed me to sort of look at my story to date and see that through line, um, that motivator of trying to find my place in the world and trying to find mm -hmm. where I belong and then being able to see how motivated I was by it and how it drove me in a number of different directions over, over my life. Um, and, and then to actually reflect on times where I truly did feel like I, I belonged and why. Um, and then in more recent years, and thankfully, you know, as I'm getting a little bit older, more mature and wiser and calmer, um, you know, then what it means to me today versus what I think I spent a long time looking for. And when I found it, what that was versus how I feel today. There is a lot to unpack. There's a bit. <laughs> but we, we don't, you know, and I guess if you could maybe reflect on the beginning for you. So, you know, were you younger when you first had this idea of belonging? Like, where did that start for you? I think it was like, I think if I reflect probably, a, a, you know, being a, a young child and then certainly um, a teenager and, and you met me, I would say at the, the, the sort of the very beginning of a conscious um, journey, my conscious journey to find where I belonged in the world. And of course, most of that was motivated at that time by my, by my sexuality. I was a young gay man. Um, I, I hadn't yet come out. Um, and maybe the listeners would like to know the fun fact that you were the very first person I ever did come out to. And I think <laughs> yeah. I was 16. I think I was 16 and this is going, in high school. I was in yeah. high school for sure. And this is going back yeah. over 25 years ago. So, you yeah. know, that, that was quite a, a very different time in the world. But at 14, I was really then sort of catapulted um, into the world. And I was making this very deliberate conscious effort to try and find where I belonged in the world. Prior to that, I think mm -hmm. it was still there um, just sort of, you know, in, in response to life, uh, my family, probably knowing, you know, at that time, there was something fundamentally different about me. And obviously that, that, you know, being, um, being that I'm gay, and then, and then sort of having that awakening and moving forward from there. So much of my teenage years was spent that and of course, you know, we live in a fairly small place. And I had big dreams of, you know, going off to the big city. And, and then when that happened, I would, I would inevitably find where I belonged, I would find you know, a similar group of people who would embrace me and welcome me. And, and that would be kind of it. And 
never mind the fact that, of course, I was to become a big star, right? That was also uh, part of it. Well, of course. So, but that was just sort of <laughs> a side note to finding where I was going to belong. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I did that, you know, or I didn't become a star, but I, I went off to the big city after high school. I went to university in Toronto and um, I went into theater. I did a fine arts um, program, dance specifically at, uh, at Ryerson University. And I moved to Toronto when I was 19. And, um, you know, it's, it's sort of a classic story. I had more sort of like, you know, brawn than brains. I was just jumping in head first and was so sure that, you know, that's where I did belong in the world. Um, and I did my very best to, to make that work absolutely and to, and to find my place. In retrospect, on reflection, I was, you know, there was an incredible amount of culture shock. I'm not sure I was as equipped as I thought I was to sort of take on the world. Mm. Um, but I did, um, move to Toronto and I, I lived there for the better part of 10 years. Um, and, uh, and I, I found, you know, a group of like-minded people, both in the theater and then in the gay community. And it was very liberating. It was very freeing. It was very encouraging, but I still never felt like I, I actually belonged. And in part, I think it was because at, at my heart, at my heart, you know, I'm a bit of a bit of a small town girl, you know, I do love, um, PEI and Charlottetown and, and everything about it. And, um, you know, the devils in the details there I've left and returned uh, about three times in my life. So, um, I didn't quite fit in that big city mentality and I was trying to make myself fit within that mold and it, and it didn't really work, but I met wonderful people. I met, um, some friends, you know, people who are still friends of mine, you know, close friends to this day. Um, but in, in that feeling of, did I belong there? No, not at all. And, and that played out, you know, in time. So when I was about 26, I think I decided I had enough of kind of big city living and, uh, not, that's not true. I had had enough of kind of the theater world and, um, you know, sort of the gig economy before it was called that and waiting on tables. And I said, I, I want a good, strong education. I want to set myself up for security and success in my life. And so I want to go back to school. And through sort of the jigs and reels of it all, I ended up back home um, going to the University of Prince Edward Island. And my plan was just to go to UPEI for a year um, to get a good, solid base of academic um, university courses. Of course, I had fine arts courses from Ryerson, um, and then reapply and go back to the University of Toronto because I was so convinced that that was my life and that's where I belonged. Mm -hmm. And very even though you, sorry, even though you, you actually came home, mm -hmm. came back to BEI, but knowing that, you know, you still had this idea that you there was something that that you there's something that drew you back there to Toronto. Um, so sorry. So, you know, thinking I needed to go back to Toronto, you mean? Yeah. Like coming here for a year and then already planning in your mind that you were going to go back to the university of Toronto because you felt like something was taking you back there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the plan from the moment that I left was like, you know, I'll be back. And I remember saying that to people. I remember, you know, sending that you know, signing that off in a mass email when, when we used to send mass emails, you know, and, and it was like, I'll be back. I'm just going, I'll be back. I'll be back in just a few minutes, guys. Like I'm coming back. I'm going to continue <laughs> this party and we're going to continue, you know, everything the way that it was. But it became really obvious to me fairly soon after I arrived back that I didn't want to go back and that I actually did want to stay. Um, and I officially made that decision, I think in February of that year. So it didn't even take kind of that full year for me to go, 
no, I need to stay here. And I needed to stay here for a, a number of reasons. Um, I needed to kind of recover from that sort of seven year stint in the, in the city, I was exhausted and I would say, you know, kind of borderline burnt out. Um, mm-hmm. I, so I needed to be somewhere where I was, you know, felt safe and secure and supported. Um, but also UPEI was really the first place in my life where I felt like I truly belonged. And, and I would not have been able to probably articulate that at the time. Um, rather I would have been able to kind of rhyme off sort of these external reasons for why I needed to stay. Um, but I think, I think in my heart and my soul, I, I just knew that I belonged mm. there. And what were some of the things that made you feel that way? Um, I think it was the first time in my life where I felt that my voice was truly being heard and valued and I was being seen. And, mm. you know, I was, my undergrad is in a, is in political science and it was a fairly small um, program. I was you know, a little bit older than most of the other students and that little bit of an edge, you know, as a, as a mature student. And I put that in quotes because I'm not sure I was very mature at that age, but, um, you know, that, that, that gave me a little bit more of an edge and, and I was there, I was in it to win it. So I was an, I was an extremely good student for the first time in my life because I absolutely Mm. was not in public school. Um, you know, and, and I barely, like I limped through public school and, you know, barely graduated high school. Cause to me, it was just an obstacle that was getting in the way of my big dreams of becoming a star. Of so, course. you know, went off, didn't become a star, decided a solid education was the route to go. And thankfully I did. So I got to UPEI, I was an excellent student. And, uh, for the first time I was getting you know, great grades. I was, you know, I eventually, I was on the honor roll or the Dean's list. I eventually got, um, full scholarship for my last two years that I was there. Um, I became the head of um, the organization called the UPEI Rainbow Alliance, which was the on-campus group Mm. for the GLBTQT community and had some really fantastic success there as well in terms of fundraising. And uh, I founded a a speaker series where I had these wonderful speakers come in. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Soundbite speaker series. Um, Yeah. So things were happening and it was like this incredible place to be um, because it's, it's a university. So that, you know, that environment in itself where it's, it's, uh, it's encouraging debate. It's, it's encouraging, you know, multiple and dissenting voices. It's encouraging student participation and Mm. activism. And, and so all of that was, was happening. And, um, and so for me, I, I just truly felt like I, I belong there. And, and, and I reflect on my time at UPEI as, as being mm. kind of one of the, the most productive, but also one of the most happy and engaged periods of my life. Although there were other things that were also happening, but my connection and my memories there are very, very positive for all of those um, reasons. And, and still to this day, I, I feel a very close relationship to that school. And, and I was very fortunate that in my professional career, one of my highlights is, is having been a professional or sorry, um, a sessional uh, professor um, at UPEI for, for six years. So I taught in the political science faculty actually for five years. So um, it was a real, you know, kind of full circle moment and exciting and a, and a real honor to mm-hmm. be able to go back and, and then to be a different a part of the school in a very different way. That's awesome. Hmm. Yeah. It was nice. And, so then you went off to get your master's degree at Queens. Yes. And that was a year? It or was. Or was it more than that? No, yeah, it, was, okay. it was a one, you know, a traditional academic year, I guess is eight months or two semesters. And this was a 10 month program. And, um, 
and uh, I did go off to Queens and um, I did not like that experience. I didn't, I did not enjoy it. And I knew mm. um, about mid-October of that year that I did not, I was not happy. And I remember calling my, um, my boyfriend at the time, Craig, who um, has since become my husband. And I remember just saying, you know, I was a little bit whiny and saying, I really, you know, I was probably crying and, you know, saying, I really don't like it here. And he was just very silent on the other end of the phone and was like, okay, what are you going to do? Quit and come back. And it was mm-hmm. just like, not only was that sort of a line in the sand, but it was also a challenge and I love a good challenge. So I was like, well, no, I'm not, I'm obviously not going to do that. I'm going to finish. Um, and I did finish, but I did not yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> No, so you what are you going to do? It. Quit? Yeah, yeah. I do. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, no, I'm not going to quit. Um, no. And thank goodness I didn't, because there's probably not, and I mean this genuinely, there probably has not been a day after you know leaving Queens that I am not thankful and grateful for the education I did get there, because it was uh, an exceptional educational experience. It's just that it was so different than what I had experienced at UPEI um, that I, I didn't like that aspect of it you know it's mm. sort of like you know um legacy upper upper canadian kind of legacy school um yeah you know i was in class with lots of um people who had gone to other large schools like u of t and, and u of guelph and and mcgill and their experience was very different than mine and was likely more in line with queens so um it was a great learning experience overall and i'm happy to have it have it finished and have it over. <laughs> mm. yeah. I think that's something to be said too about smaller places like UPEI. I'm sure there's a few other smaller ones, especially in the Maritimes, that others could kind of relay similar experiences where because of the size, you really do get a chance to become part of a community. And, you know, your professors know you by your first name and there's a real ability and opportunity to connect. Agreed. And, and that, that also became obvious when I was at Queens. Um, so thinking back on that time, when I left UPEI, um, there, there was no wireless internet on the campus and this was not 30 years ago. This was only, um, well, I guess about 15 years ago. Um, there was no wireless internet, for example. So I remember when I got to Queens, like, of course, everything was absolutely wireless and and, and so many of the students in my class, they had stronger technical skills than I did, even when it came to like the creation of presentations or um, using, you know, different software exam- as an example. Um, but what I had, and this became obvious early on, was I was a very strong um, presenter. And because we were in a graduate program, a lot of our work was presented, you know, in class. And so I became known as somebody who you want in your group. Um, because I, I was an excellent mm-hmm. presenter. So what I could contribute was, was that, and I could bring, bring, bring some credibility to the work we were doing through the oral presentation in class. But I was able to hone and develop that skill from UPEI, mm-hmm. where most of our classes, by virtue of size, you, were, you, you had to participate, or they were seminar-style classes where you were, um, you know, you were presenting your work. Hmm, cool. That, that would make a huge difference. So UPEI actually um, is, you could say, a really good training opportunity for 
um, pre- presenting and, and, and that can be pretty broad, I suppose. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a strong great training ground for, for presentation. Um, but for also, I would say classroom confidence because we were so close to our professors that although we were very mindful that, you know, there was a, you know, a needed level of, of kind of reverence and respect, um, they were very accessible they were very supportive, um, and we had direct relationships with them where they, they, as you said, they did know our names. Students who were coming from other um, schools, bigger schools where they didn't have that experience, there was a level of kind of discomfort or almost intimidation. And our class mm. at Queen's, because we were in a grad program, were quite small. So I think that also, you know, was another benefit that I had, um, I had from my time mm. at UPEI, uh, among others, you know, just the education yeah. that I received as well, I think was very strong. And and set me up uh, for future success. Well, it kind of brings up a theme of change too, because, you know, we go through our life and we may hang on to an idea like, for instance, belonging, and that could mean different things at different times in our lives. And, you know, when we change, we, we may end up redefining things as we go along. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you, you know, you went through getting all the education that you wanted, and then stepped into the professional world and and did very well on all fronts. Um, what what does it mean to you closer to now about what it means to to belong? And and tell me more about the journey from from then till now. Yeah, that uh, it's been quite a journey. And um, your comment on change um, is very sort of apt uh, for my story as well because. Um, I think for a long time, I was forever changing things. I was changing um, jobs. I was changing my education level. I was, we were changing where we lived. Um, and part of that was motivated or driven by this sort of, I think, desire to find exactly where I belong, right? Mm. So all sort of external variables needed to be uh, in perfect place so that I could feel like I belonged. And so I needed to have, you know, the, the job where I felt, you know, the most sort of engaged and rewarded and successful and, you know, the house where I felt safe and secure and, and all of those things. And I was always very, very focused on those external variables to get that sense of belonging, to get that sense of comfort. And, um, in many ways, I think I exhausted myself, Hmm. um, looking for that place to belong. And, um, I, I, I spent three years working in the cruise ship industry, as you well know, you were my most frequented, um, visitor and, <laughs> um, it was an amazing experience. It absolutely was. I was director of human resources with a, a large cruise ship company for three years and talk about belonging. I mean, I literally got to travel the world. So, you know, if there was ever a time where you could explore where you where somewhere else you may belong, that, that was the time. Um, but it was a very hectic job. It was very stressful. Um, it was very, very high pressure. And when I decided to leave, I decided to take um, six months off. Um, we were in a very fortunate position to be able to do that. And, and we were, my husband, Craig, and I were kind of planning our next steps and what was that going to look like. But I knew that I wanted time off and I wanted six months off. So I did that. And uh, the first two months were spent at home uh, here in PEI. Uh, over the summer months, which was great. And then for two and a half months that fall, I went to work um, with Craig, um, an important detail. He also worked in the cruise ship industry. 
And uh, he stayed working for the same company. We worked at the same company. He stayed working for them for another almost full year after I did. And uh, that fall for two and a half months, I went to work with him. And I just went as a passenger, which is great. And um, I did absolutely nothing but decompress and um, kind of recalibrate a little bit and not a little bit, a lot. And, and just kind of took some time to sort of assess or reassess kind of like, where am I at? Where do I want to go here? And preparing for this trip, it was two and a half months uh, in Japan. Um, a couple of nights before we left, I went to Indigo and I, um, to pick up a few books and I was standing in the lineup and I looked and there was a display and I can't remember the theme of the display, but there was a book called, um, 10% happier. And I picked it up and I read the the back cover and that seemed interesting enough and I threw it in the pile and off I went. And for anybody who doesn't know, 10% Happier is a book written by um, a journalist from ABC News named Dan Harris. And it's kind of semi-autobiographical and it's about his experience um, basically kind of finding or stumbling into uh, meditation. And he's got a great voice. He's very, um, he's very engaging, very charming. He's very uh, self-deprecating. So, you know, there's nice humor. And anyway, I, I read the book, but I devoured the book, really. When I started reading it, I, I loved it and I loved everything about it. And um, I had tried meditation about 10 years prior and um, kind of classic, really. I was, I wanted absolute kind of peacefulness of mind and to be devoid of any thoughts. And that's just not realistic. And in not being able to achieve that goal, I quickly sort of, you know, left my, my attempts right. at meditation. So anyway, I read the book, loved it. Um, and then there's an app, uh, and a podcast, of course, um, called 10% happier. So I got onto that. And, um, so with the app in particular in the meditation and me having two and a half months to live on a cruise ship to do absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> I was like, well, let me, let me give, let me give this a shot. I'll take, I'll, you know, have another mm. crack at this. And, and I remember literally starting off with like a minute and three minutes and five minutes and then building up and up and up from there. Um, so I, I really took that time to kind of explore that whole aspect of myself, sort of my, I would call my kind of spiritual self um, and to be a little more kind of inward looking and to really, um, you know, examine my own kind of practice around meditation, which I guess it did become a practice um, and that whole world. And what's interesting about Dan Harris and 10% Happier is he makes it very accessible. And because he's, he's quite realistic and he's very humorous, um, you know, he, he sort of takes, takes off that sort of, you know, kind of preconceived notion that, you know, in order to be a, a good meditator, you need to be, you know, um, you know, a monk of sorts, or you need to be mm. sort of, you know, sitting cross-legged in, in, you know, that traditional lotus position. Right. And that's just not it at all. And so that was really, that spoke to me. That was really accessible. I really liked that. It took a lot of the pressure and judgment off. And then you could actually just focus on what it was you were trying to do. And, and for me at that point in my life in particular, I was just trying to find some peace. I was just mm. trying to find, um, you know, a calm, peaceful place within myself. And mm -hmm. although I had had fleeting moments over my life, absolutely of looking more inside myself and, and trying to, to do that work, inevitably I got preoccupied with what was going on outside. 
and that tended to be shinier and more interesting and more exciting. <laughs> so inevitably, you know, of course, so I inevitably focused yeah. there. So this is one of those times where I, I couldn't really do that because I was like literally on a cruise ship and you were like captive. I was yeah. captive and I yeah. had a lot of time and, um, <laughs> and I was, I embraced the time. Um, my husband Craig and I had a joke where he would say, do you think you're going to leave the cabin today? And I would say, <laughs> well, why, you know, where would I go? Um, and then the joke became that I was having a day off and that just meant that I wasn't going to the gym. Um, right. But you know, every day really can, you know, was me kind of like laying on the couch, listening to podcasts and books and having hot baths. And I will, you know, it was such an incredible experience and, and meditating. And so um, having, yeah. you know, been in that environment, it really allowed me that opportunity to explore that a little bit more and explore that within myself a little bit more. And, and I did. And I think that through those med through meditation, I was able to find these, these moments, I'll be them fleeting initially of some peace and of some quiet and of, um, some quiet reflection and just even the challenge for yourself to know that you can sit quietly for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or mm. an hour or whatever you can do. And I, and I found through that whole experience, that initial learning experience, and I still meditate um, today, that I found a very different place of belonging. And it's a more sort of rooted um, anchor within myself. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's, it's, it's very powerful to be able to, know that you can go there and you can do that. And it doesn't, and, I, and I'm not yet sure how this all sort of comes together in those relationships, but it doesn't take away I don't, the, the need, I don't think, to feel like you, you know, belong and that you are loved and supported by other people or that you are, you belong in a healthy and safe place, which, you know, a quiet place, which is important to me. Um, but that there's a sense of belonging within yourself. And yes that you can meditate for those 10 or 20 minutes and you can, and I can come to that place pretty well every time. Um, and it's not, you know, for that full period of time, it may only be for a few seconds or a minute, but it's there and it's with you at all times. And so there's a real comfort and, and sense of safety and security that comes with that, with that knowledge and being secure in that knowledge and secure in that ability within yourself to, to be able to go there and to, and to know that you belong most importantly, and first and foremost within yourself. And then, you know, like I said, those sort of external sense of belonging, um, it's still there. And maybe that's something that I'm just sort of discovering and, and moving through and it, that, you know, the importance of that will continue to lessen. Um, but that it all works sort of together at once. And that's the part I'm not yet hundred percent sure about, but and confident that in time it will kind of reveal itself and um, those pieces will, will come together quite nicely. And, and this sense that I've had most of my life, uh, like I said, of being motivated about, you know, almost obsessively. So to find that place where I belong will become mm. less of, of a, of a need or less of an obsession because of that strength of, of a sense of belonging. I can, I can find within myself through mindfulness you know, spirituality and meditation. Yeah, no, that sounds like, like, without being too cliche about it, you know, we all kind of define our own journey, but that is, 
you're on a journey. It, it really sounds, yeah, yeah. Totally. And I have That's been great. since, the, you know, I was 14. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I went, just to kind of totally rewind, like about 20 minutes ago, when you mentioned when we first, when I, you know, I was trying to come up with the idea of what this podcast was going to be all about. And I remember you, you were standing up against the railing in my kitchen and I had run a few ideas past you and you were just kind of like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And I knew that I hadn't hit it yet mm-hmm. in my own self. Like I didn't quite know because I was like, what do people really want to talk about? And then I don't know how it came about, but you said, you know, it is true that people just want to belong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when you said it, I think we both looked at each other and went, that's it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, remember I that. really, I really saw like a, a whole body language change in you when you, when that, when those words came out and I thought, okay, yeah, all right. I think we're onto something here. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, I remember that. I remember that really well, actually. And, and, uh, and, and I obviously believe that. And I think that so mm-hmm. much of, so much of what we see in our world world and in human behavior can be explained if looking at it through that lens, you know, that everybody just wants to belong somewhere. And I, so and I true. yeah. And I, I think of that in terms of like my personal relationships and I think about it in a professional context as well. You know, I was in, um, like operational human resources for many years. And so I dealt with all kinds of people and especially in the cruise ship industry coming from, um, you know, we had 45 different nationalities on board. So everybody came from a very different and unique um, background and perspective, but that was sort of the one universal truth that I think that everybody has Mm. and had, and it's that everybody just wants to belong somewhere. And what that looks like, and what that means to everybody is completely different. And so, oh, so you know, much. that's where I think as well, so much sort of confusion and tension can come from as well. But, but in order to sort of understand, I think so much of the world and other people and human behavior, if we think of it like that or look at it like that, I think it explains a lot. It does. And I think regardless of the different tools people will find within themselves to use, to make them feel more like they belong. Um, ultimately everyone's just striving for some peace mm-hmm. and 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 I'm glad that you brought that up a couple of times because that is ultimately regardless like I said of of how we stumble through our journeys and and get to where we are and and surround ourselves with the people that we want to be around like in the end you just want you just want some peace and that could mean again a lot of things to 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 each and every person but i it is an overarching theme that i have yet to come across anyone that i have spoken with about this who cannot relate to to it so it is a great um way to to think of our lives and to uh kind of focus on what that means agreed you know again. And, uh, you know, I think, however, it's that pursuit of peace that becomes everybody's individual journey. And, um, you know, it's like all, like any journey, there's often some wrong turns and, and, um, you know, loops in the road. Um, many people don't ever find that peace and, Mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I, my, my heart breaks for those people. Um, and not to say that I have necessarily, but I think I at least have an awareness of what it means for me and what I'm, what I'm looking for. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of, you know, a lot of people are, are really, um, their journey to peace is, is paved with a lot of, um, pain and trauma that's too difficult to break through to be able to find that peace. And mm. that is, that, you know, is, is very sad. Um, but ultimately I think we are, we are all, all searching for that. And so a sense yeah. of peace and with that, hopefully comes a sense of belonging. And I think too, like when you mentioned the struggle, right, that so many people, um, including ourselves will experience at any given time in life is something that we need to relate more to with other people so that there's more of an understanding and empathy toward it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We, yeah. we aren't, um, I think we've made great strides in recent years. Um, we talk a lot about mental health, but I think it's become, even that word has become sort of undefined um, mm-hmm. in what exactly that means, or it's very behavioral based. Um, you know, mental health um, means X or it means Y rather than some of that more sort of, um, some of that language that's maybe a little more sort of um, empathetic when people talk about their direct experience and Mm. and for us to become comfortable hearing about it. Because generally, I think as people, when we hear about unpleasant experiences or when people, you know, um, are emotional, um, we want to fix it or we want to stop it or we want to make it go away. And one of the first things that most people do when somebody else cries is they say, oh, don't cry. Um, and we want it to stop, right. Rather than yeah. just allowing it, allowing the emotion yeah. to, to, um, yeah. to carry on and working in human resources, I had ample opportunity to practice, um, that exact thing of, of just allowing people to cry, just yeah. allowing people to go through it and move through it and, uh, and, and listen to them as well and allow them mm-hmm. to be heard. So, yeah. As you know, because I know you listen to the podcast all the time, I I do like to ask people if they were to thank one person in your life, um, you know, right today, who would that be? Um, I would like to thank my husband, Craig, um, because I think that in the time that we've been together, he has shown me a level of kindness and support and love and acceptance that I have, um, never experienced and that I had never experienced up to, um, the, the, the very day that I met him. Um, that's nice. And so I would like to thank Greg. Oh, well, that's, that's lovely. <laughs> Let's just hope his head doesn't swell up and, you know, you know him well enough, you know, that would no, never he happen. Won't. He'll yeah. be out fixing exactly. the squirrel table. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, Christopher, I really appreciate you sharing so much of your journey to date when it comes to the idea of belonging. And, um, you know, we do know each other. So, you know, there's lots of disclaimers going on here. But (laughs) I, I I don't think it matters because you and I may have this chat another time at another about something different but similar and and it's always great I always love chatting with you about about life and about experience and and where we are and um I'm just glad that you know you're on you're with me you're my fellow traveler and that you know we're all just looking for a little peace and I'm glad we can find that together 
Yes. And it's always great chatting with you as well. And I'll be honest, I, you know, we did kind of talk briefly about, you know, uh, me coming on, but, um, you know, you know, so much and have experienced so much of my journey to date that you could have taken this in any direction, um, that you so choose. (laughs) So it was interesting, um, uh, as well for it not, or for me to have just sort of chatted and, and shared my experience. So thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, we're going to see you real soon, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, and thanks again. And I hope you have a great day looking out onto the ocean and looking at all your wildlife and, uh, <laughs> you know, all the drama There's, that comes from that. With yeah. the squirrel picnic table. Oh, God, the poor thing. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, you, you told me that a raccoon got at it? I think so. So we put it up and then uh, overnight we think a raccoon got onto it because it broke it down. Um, so we've reinforced it with some screws and now, um, I really want us to get a, like a camera so we can put it out at night and see what happens out there, but we're not there yet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, listen, have a great day. Take care and we'll, we'll chat soon. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Christopher, for reaching back and sharing with us your stories of belonging. And thank you for listening. I hope you belong right here with us next Sunday. Thank you.